Hello. In this week's show, if you're a refugee, how do you get a COVID vaccine? We hear about the challenges and what's being done to overcome them. Also in the news, the High Commissioner for Human Rights leads a call for an end to systemic racism. That's at the Human Rights Council, which also pushes for urgent action on the worsening situation in Ethiopia's Tigray, where humanitarians are pleading for quicker aid access. These stories and more in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson and Solange Berhotegui-Cortez. Thanks for listening. Let's start with the news. The Human Rights Council wrapped up its summer session in Geneva this week with one of the highlights, a call for action to end systemic racism towards people of colour by law enforcement officials. On Monday, the council heard a strong appeal from UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, Michelle Bachelet, for transformative change in policing practices where people of African descent are involved. She presented a report containing numerous recommendations to member states, insisting that countries should act to end profound injustices that have been inflicted for generations. In her call for action, Ms. Bachelet highlighted how many countries lacked adequate measures to stop systemic racial prejudice. Deficient investigations, inadequate oversight, complaint and accountability mechanism, and widespread prejudice about the presumed underlying guilt of victims of African descent are contributing factors. Staying with the Human Rights Council, which on Tuesday passed a resolution calling for an immediate end to all violations in Ethiopia's conflict-torn Tigray region and for Eritrean troops to leave. Member states expressed grave concern at reports of serious violations of international humanitarian law that have allegedly been committed by all sides. Those supporting the resolution proposed by the European Union backed its call for the swift and verifiable withdrawal of Eritrean troops and for accountability for violations and abuses. The text was adopted by a vote of 20 in favour, 14 against and 13 abstentions after member states rejected all 16 amendments to the draft resolution. In a related development, UN humanitarians appealed on Tuesday for far quicker access to Tigray after the first aid trucks in days to reach the local capital, Mekele, encountered multiple checks delaying their arrival. Here's World Food Programme spokesperson Thompson Fury. It took the convoy four days to travel from Semera to Mekele via Abala a distance of just 445 kilometers, passing through over 10 checkpoints on the way, where at each and every stop, the humanitarian cargo was rigorously checked. It should not be like that. Unobstructed aid deliveries are crucial in the northern Ethiopian region, where the World Food Programme says that 4 million people need emergency food assistance after more than eight months of conflict between regional and central government forces. Global hunger levels have skyrocketed because of conflict, climate change and COVID-19, and one in five children is stunted. Those are some of the key findings of the first comprehensive global assessment of food insecurity carried out since the coronavirus pandemic began. According to the report published on Monday by UN agencies, the number of people affected by chronic hunger in 2020 rose by more than in the previous five years combined. The UN report noted that climate change has left communities in developing countries most exposed to hunger despite the fact that they contribute little to global CO2 emissions. The headlines there, and this is UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. 
Now to this week's interview, which is about efforts to promote COVID vaccination access for refugees and other forcibly displaced people, who number around 82.4 million in total. The goal is to immunise at least 20% of them by the end of the year, in line with the global vaccination target of the UN-partnered COVAX initiative. To date, only around 91 host countries have confirmed that refugees and other vulnerable people of concern have started receiving doses, according to the UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR. That's not nearly good enough, as the agency's Dr Anne Burton told me. She's the chief of UNHCR's public health section, and here she is now. In terms of who's been vaccinated so far, so we're, we're nowhere near reaching that target. We have been following the vaccine rollout in approximately 162 countries. And though we've been able to confirm that 91 countries have started providing vaccinations to refugees and other persons of concern, these numbers are, are nowhere near where we need to be. But we should look at this in the context of what's happening globally. So COVAX, as of the 22nd of June, COVAX had shipped over 88 million COVID-19 vaccines to 131 countries. And this is not even 5% of the target of 2 billion that it set itself for the end of 2021. Can we quickly just talk about the Latin American angle, the Venezuela displacement issue, because it seems to stand out as a problem in eight out of 17 host countries. They haven't explicitly included refugees in the vaccination campaigns. So for the Venezuelan situation, where it's still a little bit unclear is for those Venezuelans who have been displaced and are hosted in countries, but they haven't regularised their status. So it's true, there's a number of countries that have said that they will not be able to include them in their vaccination campaigns, a very small number. And still some countries, although they haven't explicitly excluded them, they've yet to make a firm commitment. So we're continuing to advocate with governments um, country level and making both the public health rationale for them to do so. Most governments are supportive and we do believe that most will include those that don't have a regular status but we need to make sure that they get the vaccines and the support that they need to do so. You've mentioned the statelessness issue, the fact that they might not have any identity papers. And certainly we've seen in some states that they've stopped registering births. So you've got this issue for future generations. There's also the very practical issue of uh, having vaccination centres too far away from refugee settlements. What is the UN Refugee Agency trying to do to resolve those issues? So we've been working with governments to allow refugee status documents to be used in lieu of national identity documents or to allow them more alternative ways of registering um, for the vaccines. In some countries, our NGO partners have been facilitating registration for vaccines, including setting up refugee-specific registration tools where necessary. For example, in uh, Bangladesh, 
We're also supporting the registration of refugees for vaccination in Lebanon. In Jordan, the government allowed the use of UNHCR-issued documents so that refugees could use the UNHCR-issued number when registering on the online platform. And in Senegal and Cameroon, the governments allowed refugees to register in designated health facilities and city councils, which were near to refugee communities. Great. So it's really good news to hear about some solutions to these problems. Maybe you could tell me, with your knowledge of how COVAX is going, where the biggest vaccination gaps are now, and is there a sufficient supply of COVID vaccines? The main gap at the moment is the global vaccine supply. And also coupled with that is the uneven distribution of vaccines. So we've seen that more than 2 billion vaccine doses have been given globally, and that is enough to fully vaccinate 17, 18% of the world's population. But the distribution is very uneven. So we have the highest income countries and and regions that are being vaccinated more than 30 times faster than countries with the lowest income levels. So the difficulty with getting vaccines, uh, this is the major challenge. But supply is not the only issue. As you've noticed, we've been seeing in countries that there's vaccine hesitancy, and this is emerging as a problem problem globally and we are seeing this as well in refugees. It's not just about telling people that the vaccines are safe. You really need to try to understand what their concerns are and overcome all of the other barriers that they face as well. Well, maybe on that point, you could perhaps discount some of the latest theories that are flying around about the vaccine. You're a medical doctor, aren't you? So somebody told me over the weekend that they were worried that the vaccine would lead to them becoming sterile. What do you think of that one? There's no evidence that any of the vaccines cause sterility. Of course, we're still learning more and more about the vaccines as they're rolled out globally. But I would advise people with any concerns about the vaccines to look at the WHO websites. They have questions and answers and the latest information will always be published there. Thank you very much, Anne Burton, Chief of UNHCR's Public Health Section. In your experience dealing with public health crises, you've seen perhaps Ebola and wars and displacement, climate shocks. How does COVID sort of compare on the scale of international concern and reaction to emergency needs? I think that the message is finally starting to get out that, you know, the mantra that no one is safe until everyone is safe. I think that message is finally starting to get through. However, we do need to see much more support from the high income countries to the lower income countries. The recent donation of doses or what they call dose share to COVAX that came out of the G7 of approximately one billion doses is very welcome but it is a first step and we're going to need something like 11 billion doses to get the world vaccinated. UNHCR or the UN Refugee Agency's Dr Anne Burton there on the challenges and progress being made in countries around the world in vaccinating refugees. 
A quick reminder that according to UNHCR, more than one in every 95 people is forcibly displaced globally today. That's up from one in 159 in 2010. This is the part where I hand over to the show's regular guest, Solange Berdegui-Cortez, for some closing thoughts. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. I can't think of many people who deserve to be protected from disease more than those who've been forced to flee war, natural disaster or persecution, if only it were so easy. What do you reckon, Solange? I'd like to pick up something that Dr. Burton said to you, Daniel. It is not enough to tell people that vaccines are safe. We have to understand what people's concerns are. So where does the distrust in vaccines come from? In 1818, Mary Shelley published Frankenstein or The Modern Prometheus, the story of a man, Victor Frankenstein, playing God with advanced scientific knowledge, tinkering with life itself and creating a monster. The enamed monster was an incarnation of prejudices, beliefs, myths, fears that persist today regarding new technologies or science, especially those concerning life. People fear they may produce a new Frankenstein monster. Opposition to vaccination has existed as long as vaccination itself. It goes as far back as the 18th century, from the earliest days when Edward Jenner created the life-saving smallpox vaccine and the almost immediate formation of an anti-vaccine society that spread fear through disinformation. Fear persists despite the fact that vaccination campaigns are among the top public health achievements of the 20th century. I remember us talking recently on the show about the excellent news that India had passed the milestone of seven years polio-free. But despite these achievements, which have saved millions of lives and protected us from awful diseases, people's opposition to vaccines has remained relatively consistent since Edward Jenner's time. No one is safe until everyone is safe. How many times have we heard this slogan, I wonder? It is elemental, mi querido Daniel, as Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle's creation used to say. No one is safe until everyone is safe. Absolutely, Solange. And by the way, I love hearing that elementary dear Watson catchphrase in Spanish too. Conan Doyle was a medical doctor and a big supporter of vaccination. So let's carry on his work and continue fighting against misinformation and sharing reliable content online, which could save lives. Listeners, you can help too, if you like, by joining the UN's Verified campaign. Just check out shareverified.com to become a trusted information sharer. That's pretty much all we have time for, I'm afraid. Thank you, listeners, for taking an interest in what the United Nations has been up to this week. Please do drop us a line on United Nations Geneva's Facebook page, Twitter or Instagram accounts. Tell us what you think of today's show. We do love hearing from you wherever you are. We hope you enjoyed the show and can join us next time. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye.